One focus, one subject. Welcome to The Real Story, the podcast that brings together global experts to explain one issue shaping the news. BBC World Service podcasts are supported by advertising. You've downloaded the podcast for BBC NewsHour Extra, one hour, one topic every week. And uh, this week our topic is the French elections. And after Brexit and Trump, no one is writing off the chances of a woman who's praised both those election results, the Front National leader, Marine Le Pen. So concerns about immigration and anger at the establishment are just as apparent in France as they have been in the UK and in the US. So in the programme, we're going to look at the candidates putting themselves forward in France from the traditional parties and these candidates coming now from outside the mainstream. Uh, The polls are tightening. Uh, The electoral system, as we'll hear, makes it tough for Marine Le Pen to win. We'll look at how that system works and ask, towards the end of the podcast, what a Le Pen victory could mean for the European Union. Our panel today, Sophie Pedder, Paris Bureau Chief of The Economist magazine, also in the Paris studio with her, Pierre Askey of France's Lobs magazine, and here in London, BBC roving correspondent Gabriel Gatehouse, who spent a lot of time in France recently, and Eric Albert, who works for Le Monde and Le Ton here in London. And just an opening question to all of you, Sophie, perhaps you could start. Why is this French election so different from previous ones? Well, I mean, the first thing is that uh, it's Marine Le Pen and the fact that she's been atop of the first round of polls for voting for a long time now, well before Donald Trump was elected in the US. It's been quite obvious that she was going to be the favourite to get into the second round. And because France has this two-round election system and you have two candidates in the runoff, that has meant it's turned the entire election into a sort of race to meet her. And that makes it extremely different. It sort of structured the whole campaign very differently and it's made it particularly unpredictable. You know, this isn't just sort of the left against the right or different versions of the left and the right. It's everybody trying to occupy that place to face Marine Le Pen in the runoff. And Pierre Askew, when you're sitting at your elegant French uh, Parisian dinner parties discussing the political matters of the day, uh, what main point do you make about this election? Well, you're right to say that every single dinner party in Paris talks about uh, the coming elections and particularly people are making calculations. And as Sophie was saying, the focus is what happens on the first round. In the past, we used to say on the first round you choose and on the second round you eliminate. Now we are forced to think otherwise because there's only one slot left uh, facing Marine Le Pen, and people have made, uh, are all making strange calculations who will be the best candidate to beat and to prevent Marine Le Pen from accessing to power. So people are, are just thinking against their own convictions. People who, who are in favour of uh, uh, left-wing candidates might vote for Macron or are thinking, what do I do if it's Fillon who is facing Marine Le Pen? So this is the type of uh, dilemma that French citizens have nowadays. And I'd just say now that we will be discussing, if people are confused by the electoral system and why, for instance, Pierre's talking about it in that way, we will talk about the system, the two rounds, what difference it makes to the dynamic of the whole campaign in the second half of the programme. We will deal with that whole issue. Gabriel Gatehouse, this election, what's different? Well, it's it's the anti-establishment candidates, isn't it? Because you've got Marine Le Pen, who's openly anti-establishment. And then uh, the person who, at the moment, according to the polls, looks most likely to do well against her in a second round, Emmanuel Macron, 
OK, maybe it's a bit of a stretch to call him anti-establishment, but he's not from one of the established parties. So, so we've got this unprecedented uh, situation where quite possibly in the second round, we'll have no one from the established parties uh, running in the presidential election. Eric Alba, you've got the difficult job of coming last. So is there anything else that you can think that's different? Well, just one thing. I mean, let's rewind one minute. A year ago, it was supposed to be a rerun of Hollande against Sarkozy. This has completely been blown apart. You know, it's a script straight out of House of Cards. Um, the president couldn't run because he was so unpopular. Sarkozy was eliminated um, despite what was expected more than a year ago. Fillon was supposed to be a massive favorite once he won the primaries. And here comes this massive corruption scandal. Every single turn has been a massive surprise and it's still you know, quite a long way to go. So it's a really unprecedented open election. Okay, well, let's get into the candidates. And we're going to just run through the list of the main candidates and get them all uh, understood and described and so on. So uh, Pierre Aski, I think you're going to kick us off with the socialists. And we've got a socialist president at the moment. But now people are saying they've got absolutely no chance whatsoever. Talk us through Benoit Hamon and also Jean-Luc Mélenchon. What's the difference between them? Where are they coming from? And how strong are they? So first of all, as was just said, Benoit Hamon's victory was certainly not a foreseen event. Uh, he was an outsider when they had the, the socialist primaries, and he nevertheless won with a very convincing margin. Benoit Hamon was a minister in the first two years of uh, François Hollande's uh, five-year term. Uh, but he left, and he left on uh, uh, criticizing the government, and he became what is known in France as a frondeur. That's the rebellious wing of the Socialist Party who voted against every single reform that the government was uh, proposing. And Hamon's victory was really seen as a, a, a kind of... Uh, disapproval of the legacy of François Hollande and Manuel Valls, the, his prime minister for the latter part. And certainly a kind of rejuvenation of the Socialist Party. Many uh, socialist voters felt that their ideals were betrayed during the last five years. And they found in Benoit Hamon someone to give them hope that you can still uh, raise the, the flag of the socialist. Is it right to say Hamon is the, the Corbyn, the Bernie Sanders? of French politics. He's got the, the same idea. Well, he definitely uh, would appreciate to be compared to Bernie Sanders. I'm not sure the uh, comparison with uh, Corbyn is as flattering in the French context, but he certainly is someone who, if you want to summarize, will uh, go back to the ideals and the purity, ideological, ideological purity of the Socialist Party, and by doing so, having less hope of getting back to, uh, to power. Mélenchon is a, is a different story because he broke with the Socialist Party almost 10 years ago and he created his own party on the left of the Socialist Party. And he has run already in the presidential election on this radical left ticket. He has ideological links to Podemos in, uh, in Spain, to the early Syriza in Greece, or to the Linke in Germany, for example. Uh, that's where he stands. The problem is that both Hamon and Mélenchon are both close and impossible to reconcile because they both 
would like to be the candidate of the left. And egos are very deep and very important in this case. And they have broken discussions to create a, a single candidate. Uh, by having two candidates, the left knows that it will not be present on the second run and will therefore uh, lose the election. But they are still running one against the other as a test of popularity. And, and the election has become who will be the leader of the left-wing opposition for the next five years and not so much who will be president. I see. Let's throw this open to everyone else, just on Amon and Mélenchon, the left candidates. Any other points you'd make about them? Eric Albert, why don't you start? There might be some political differences between Amon and Mélenchon, but basically they are sharing the same electorate and therefore they are killing each other's chances. And Sophie Pedder, I, I read that they both got about 13% in the polls, which of course, if you put it together, becomes a rather hefty 26%. But uh, well, well, it does, but that know. sort of assumes that you can just add up chunks of votes. And as, as Pierre has said, you know, one of them would then have to seed way for the other. And right now, there's no pr- prospect of that happening. So I think it's a, an error just to look at this mathematically. The other point about Mélenchon's votes is that some of them, if he weren't to stand, would actually go to Marine Le Pen. I mean, such as the sort of fluidity of the French spectrum at the moment that that, you know, if you're on the far left and you're a sort of anti-establishment voter, some of them will actually prefer her to an alternative candidate on, on the left. I think the other point about Hamo I just add is the, um, you know, one of the reasons he's been quite sort of successful among young people in the primary was that he's he's somebody who's trying to sort of think about the future and the way in which the world is changing. It brings in ecology to that. He also brings in the new sort of forms of work, the gig economy, the, the, you know, a day when work might disappear and how the welfare system should be adapted to that. And although his sort of, um, you know, his remedy is this famous universal revenue, which is sort of unfinanceable at the moment, it's, it has captured young people's imagination in particular. I think the fact that he's sort of thinking in a slightly novel way to find a sort of solutions to, to the way the world's changing. OK, so those are the leftist candidates. We're going to move on to Emmanuel Macron now. And Sophie Petty, you're going to lead us on that. But first of all, let's just hear from him. This is him speaking in Germany last month, talking about Europe and France's very close partnership with Germany. Today, the end of Europe, the exit, the return of nationalism, is a new magical thinking. How can we not see that our challenges are the same? How can we not see that terrorism is not only a French or German problem? That the Paris Agreement on climate change is not an issue for Berlin too? That in a globalised world... We do have common interests. Now, he's been in London this week and uh, he met with the Prime Minister and he promised to be tough on Brexit. He gave a speech to a packed house. Here are some of his uh, supporters within the French community in London. He's one of the only candidates speaking so um, such an optimistic way about Europe and it's really um, reassuring to hear that sort of uh, speech because we really need to hear that sort of thing. I'm pretty impressed of uh, what he was uh, talking about. I'm waiting for his uh, real programme next week but for the moment I'm pretty impressed and I think I will vote for him. He understands there is a problem in France. It is a very conservative deep down, whether it's the left or the right. The system has been continuing the same for so long. And so it's interesting he's having the courage to do try and do something like this. So I thought that came across very well and very convincingly. And you say you're undecided. Who else is interesting you in the election that might... Well, actually, I'm not really undecided in as much as I don't think by now there's anybody else. <laughs> So there we are. Sophie Pedder, the, the, the French in London seem to like him. What about the French in, in France? 
Well, I think that's exactly the question. You know, he is exactly the sort of candidate that um, a French expat living in London would 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 like. You know, pro-European, internationally minded. He's very uh, keen on sort of technological disruption, what it can bring uh, to the economy. And he's he's very much a sort of candidate for the graduate classes. And the real challenge for him, I mean, among many that are in front of him, is trying to sort of find a message that speaks beyond that, you know, to blue-collar voters, to uh, middle ordinary middle-class voters who feel very much left behind by globalisation, by technological change, and by all the forces that he embraces so enthusiastically. So I think, you know, I was, I was there with him in Toulon at the, um, just to hit the the weekend and it's it's interesting to see uh, a very hostile territory the south of France uh, Toulon's a naval port his rally was there were protesters outside the rally from the National Front but also you know ordinary sort of voters in the south are much less enthusiastic about Macron than than people in Paris or, or London are so you know he is doing incredibly well at the polls you have to pinch yourself to think that this is a candidate who six months ago we'd have all laughed at the idea that he would be you know anywhere near getting into the second round it's an extraordinary sort of tale but He's got a lot of work. He's inexperienced. He has never run for election at for any office before, not just the presidency. And he is fragile for those reasons. So I think, you know, we've 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 still there's a long way to go between now and, and that second round in two months' time. Pierre Askew, from what Sophie's just said there, he needs to get out of his base, beyond his base, would that be it? Well, his problem, I mean, uh, the the fragility Sophie was talking about is, is definitely there because he has appealed to different audiences, uh, to different uh, categories of uh, voters, but he still hasn't produced his program. He's announced that for uh, March the 2nd. And now we're going to have the real tests of how can you identify with that or that within, you know, in his program? So some people are going to like him as a person, but find that he may be too liberal on economic issues, others that he's soft on immigration or other issues. And, and that's the real test for him. He's worked very well and surprisingly well on his own charisma, on his own juvenility. You know, he's only 39, which is uh, something unprecedented uh, in French politics, at least for the past uh, three decades. And the real test is coming next week. He scored a few good points, and and only the last one was when François Bayrou, a senior politician from the centre who has been a member of right-wing governments and then has already run three times for presidency, has declared support for him and that was a, a boost for his campaign, and that's quite important. Eric Albert, his programme is important. I thought programmes were, were all out of fashion these days. You don't yeah, read re- re- manifesto. No, just one word of caution. You know, he was very much a non-entity six months ago. He can be a non-entity again pretty quickly. By many ways, his rise is mostly the fall of the others. So it's not so much that he was such, so successful, but that the others actually collapsed. And just one thing, the poll says that roughly two-thirds of people who say they might vote for him might change their mind. So it's a very soft support. But he's also presenting himself effectively as the saviour of Europe now, the man who can save Europe and, and indeed the, the world against this populist tide. We saw him uh, tweeting a, a message in English, uh, turning to American scientists, saying, if you're feeling the squeeze at home, guys, come to France. This is your country. That was Gabriel Gatehouse just uh, getting his bit in on Macron as well. We're going to move on to Francois Fillon now. Uh, Eric Albert, you're going to help us with him first of all. And, of course, the conventional wisdom 
was that with the socialists in disarray, then uh, really he'd have it all wrapped up and would be the next president. He got the primary and yeah, many people thought that would be it. So it was all looking very jolly for him then, uh, but then there was this scandal. En travaillant avec ma femme et mes enfants, in working with my wife and my children, I gave priority to this collaboration of trust, which today arises suspicion. It was a mistake. I deeply regret it, and I apologise to the French people. Right, that was his version. The other version was that he'd paid his wife, who didn't do much work for the money, and it was government money, and it's upset a lot of people, Eric Albert. Indeed. It's, it's, it is his election to lose. I mean, it should be a shoe-in for him. As you said, the left is in disarray. Marine Le Pen is unlikely to win the second round, despite all, and therefore it was for him to win easily. And this scandal is massive, especially because he ran on this clean image. Many times he said, I cannot accept any kind of corruption under any circumstances. And here we learn that he has paid his wife for many, many years. That, that's official, more, more than a, a million euros. Now, the question is, did she do any work or did she not do any work? What is known is that she never showed up at the parliament. She never showed up at his um, constituency office. So she might have done some work, but really it's doubtful. The police is investigating and the police said that they will not just clear it. And so will he be charged? Will he be, what, what kind of form will it take? We don't know yet, but that's uh, all to play for. And therefore it has really destroyed his image very badly. Let's just throw this over to Paris and Pierre and Sophie. Any comments on Mr Fillon? Well, I must say, I thought a couple of weeks ago that he was done with, that he would have to leave the race, uh, that his credibility was so much damaged that he could not continue his campaign. I was wrong because, first of all, he proved to his uh, party that they had no other solution, that if they threw him out, they might have a, a war of clans to choose a replacement and that would be very damageable. And the second thing is that I think right-wing voters in France don't want to lose this opportunity to get back to power. They have suffered a lot during the five years of Hollande. They felt that he was a, a kind of uh, illegitimate president, that uh, if it had not been the controversies around Sarkozy, they should have had a second mandate. And so they thought that their time had come to return to power and they don't want to be robbed of that uh, opportunity. And that has been Fillon's chance because he has managed to stand during the storm. Today, he's gained back a little bit in the opinion polls. And really, there is a race uh, that is totally open between Macron and Fillon for that single slot on the second round. One thing I would just add is uh, about Fillon is that this affair has damaged him to the point where he is no longer a, the sort of strong second round candidate that he might have been before to beat Marine Le Pen. And the real question you have to ask is if you ended up with Fillon against Marine Le Pen in the runoff, how motivated would be the non-right wing voters to come out and vote for him in order to keep her out? And that's that's a real question. You know, before this affair arose, you would have bet that most French people would do that. And they proved that in 2002 when Jean-Marie Le Pen was in the second round against Jacques Chirac and the left held its nose, you know, went to the voting um, stations and voted for it. So the question now is whether or not people would feel that they could on the left. I mean, the voters on the left would feel able to vote for Fillon after this affair. 
And if I may add one just uh, small point, if Fillon gets elected, his credibility as president and as a president who has announced a very tough uh, program of reforms uh, will be very weak. And I, I can guarantee you that the first reform he, he announces, he will have demonstrations with one placard, Penelope, you know, the name of his wife. Okay, so his, no, his no, Welsh wife. His, his Welsh wife. We do need to mention yes. that. <laughs> so now let us uh, go on to the fourth candidate, uh, who we've uh, been hearing a lot about already, Marine Le Pen. And uh, before we hear from you, Gabriel, uh, let's just hear from her. This is talking to the BBC in November. Il se passe quelque chose dans le monde. L'émergence de there's something happening in the world. The people's will is clearly emerging and challenging either supranational political powers such as the EU or big financial powers against a system which for too many years has been defending particular interests and has forgotten to defend the interests of the people. Something fundamental is happening. The comeback of nations, of sovereign states, with people, with borders. People now want to be in charge of their destinies, for too long, they've been prevented from doing so. Gabriel Gatehouse, tell us about Marine Le Pen. Well, she's her father's daughter, isn't she? She's uh, the daughter of Jean-Marie Le Pen. Uh, she took over in 2011. And since then, uh, she's been on this sort of active campaign of what they call de-diabolisation, detoxifying, de de-devilling the party, basically trying to improve its image. And to that end, she even kicked her own father out of the party. He the Front National. Yeah, the Front National. Yes, sorry. I, I, I was so engrossed in that, I forgot to mention. The party is the Front National, the National Front. It has its roots in disgruntled ex-colonialists in the far right. And, and Marine is trying very hard to change that. Uh, if you look at her speech in Lyon a couple of weeks ago where she launched her campaign, she spoke overtly about... Well, I'm not from the right. I'm not from the left. It's it's a populist message. It's a nationalist message. It's anti-immigrant, anti-Islam. She's tapping into all of those things that we're seeing fears in France about the attacks that we've seen, but also around the world, as you heard her just mention there. The question is, has she, with this de-diabolisation, has she moved the Front National further to the centre ground, or has she just broadened its appeal? My feeling from having spent time with them is that she is broadening its appeal. She's still trying to appeal to the far right, but also trying to appeal to voters on the left. Make France great again? Make France great again, exactly. She, she references Trump all the time. She references Brexit. She says she's inspired by that. Uh, and if you look at who her friends are abroad. Sophie, you were, you were, you were talking about who Amon's friends are abroad, uh, you know, Podemos in Spain and stuff. Her friends abroad are Geert Wilders of the Dutch Freedom Party, the Austrian Freedom Party, and Alternative for Deutschland, Alternative for, for Germany. So, so that does give you a sense of, of where she is, and she's surfing this tide. OK, and we'll let the others come in on Marine Le Pen just in the second half of the programme, just coming to the end of the first half now. But just, just to summarise where we've got to, the polls, Gabriel, why don't you do this for us? I've got here, Le Pen, 28-ish, Fillon, Macron, pretty even, 18, 19, 20, depending on the poll, Amor and Mélenchon, 13 each. That's right, and it's, it looks like she will win uh, the first round, and so it's a toss-up as to who goes up against her. It's either going to be Fillon or Macron, and then in the second round, the polls suggest that she loses uh, by about 10 points against Fillon and by about 20 against Macron, but I think polling is <laughs> a guessing game at the moment. 
You're listening to the NewsHour Extra podcast, and if you like what we do, you might want to try one of our other BBC World Service podcasts. Uh, like us, each week, The Inquiry asks one pressing question, but then, one at a time, it calls on four expert witnesses. The latest episode asks, why can't we help looking at our phones? And next week, it's what's happened to Europe's migrant crisis. You're listening to NewsHour Extra from the BBC World Service with Owen Bennett-Jones. And this week we're joined by Sophie Pedder of The Economist, Pierre Askey of Lobs magazine, uh, the BBC's Gabriel Gatehouse, and Eric Albert of Le Monde and Le Temps. We're talking the French elections. And uh, let's go over to Eric Albert here in London just to get your comments on Marine Le Pen. You heard Gabriel just at the end of the first half of the programme talking about her. What, what, what points would you make about her? One thing, it's too close for comfort to, in the second round. You know, all the polls show that she will not win in the second round and it's very unlikely that she will win. But it is really too close to comfort. Um, and, you know, we are talking, patting our back, uh, saying, well, she might do only 40%, 45%. I mean, the far right is going to do 40% in France. And this is pretty bad. You can't put it worse than that. So, yes, it's unlikely that she's going to win, but, but it's really too close to comfort. Sophie and Pierre, can you come in on, on Marine Le Pen? Yes, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about what she's done is that she's sort of taken the National Front out of its historic base in the south of France and she has developed a whole sort of second line of attack electorally and that's in the French Rust Belt, old towns in the mining basin, industrial parts of the north and the east of France, which historically voted on the left, either communist or, or socialist, and she has gone in there for the sort of blue-collar vote in an incredibly efficient way. She's got a, a number of towns that where she's got National Front mayors who've been elected. And this is on a very different sort of programme. It's not a, It's not even a programme. It's a different sort of message. It's about, it's much less about appealing to the sort of Catholic, conservative, Christian roots of France sort of message. It's less identity politics and it's much more about, you know, being left out by the system, anti-globalisation, uh, sort of anti-elite message. And that's gone down incredibly well in some of those places, uh, the sort of small towns that have really been sort of feel very much left behind. If you look at the polling data, what's extraordinary to me, and and, uh, each time I look at this, is that she is among blue-collar workers, the top candidate, the leading candidate in that category. With Marine Le Pen, what's really astonishing about her is how polished a performer she is. You know, when she's on stage, it's almost like a sort of stand-up act. I mean, she's quite funny, and people see her as a form of entertainment almost. I mean, she's very good at short, simplistic slogans. I mean, it's in a way, it's quite Trump-like, her, her, her way of sort of connecting with an audience and making things seem very simple, very seductive. She is a pure populist in that sense. She, it goes down very well. She, she is quite Trump-like, um, but one thing, one place where she really differs from Trump is discipline. She's incredibly disciplined. She doesn't shoot her mouth off like Trump. And I think that'll help her in the campaign. Pierre Askey? Yeah. She was born in politics. You know, her father was uh, trained her from early age into uh, embracing this career in politics. So that's a big difference with with Trump. She was raised to become what she is now. But her genius, I think, and that's why she's so high in the polls, is that she has stolen, uh, and the word is not uh, strong enough, the working class vote from the left. And today, as Sophie said, she is the number one in the working neighborhoods, especially in the forgotten working neighborhoods of the north of the country. And that's where she has managed to increase tremendously her popularity and and the appeal of her party, because she has 
still got the anti-immigration and the law and order type of party. That's definitely the strong point in the South. And that's where her niece, Marion Maréchal Le Pen, is very strong in, in Nice and, and the Côte d'Azur. And on the other side, she has embraced this working class, forgotten losers of the globalization. In September, I, I saw her interviewed on an American TV channel. The interviewer was trying to get her to say that she supported Trump. And she said, I don't only support Trump, I also support Bernie Sanders. I support all those who are against the system. And I found that very uh, smart from her because that's exactly what she's trying to G- do here. Gabriel's trying to come back at I, I, I just wanted to say, you, you said she'd stolen uh, the votes off the left. Her supporters, she might say, the left have vacated that ground. And, and, and in a sense, Emmanuel Macron exemplifies that, a former uh, so, member of the Socialist Party who's, who's pretty kind of centrist, Blairite, that the traditional socialists have forsaken their base and Marine Le Pen is mopping up. What happened is that the Communist Party used to occupy that ground. You know, in France, the Socialist Party reached 25-26% at its highest point in history, and they have collapsed now to almost irrelevancy. And that ground hasn't been occupied by anyone because the socialists are really a middle-class party and they're not uh, so strong in working uh, class. So she has occupied, I, I agree, an empty field. So, Eric Albert, can I just ask you about the economics of this? Because each year, growth rates aren't great, but there'll be 1%, 2% growth. And over a period of years, that all adds up quite nicely. And so, theoretically, France is getting richer. And yet people don't feel it, right? Unemployment has been 10% for 30 years. I grew up at university learning that finding a job was going to be hard. I'm now just over 40 and unemployment is still very high. In some areas, some suburbs, you got unemployment at, at 50%. I mean, this is just not acceptable. It's been a choice of society, and some people have been left behind. It is just true. In some areas of France, the, the level of uh, hopelessness is really high, and in some ways, it's understandable. Therefore, you know, when everything's lost, when you're at the bottom of the ladder, why not voting Marine Le Pen? You know, it's how it started, and that's how it snowballed for now many, many decades. And Eric, how much is this to do then with all those things we hear about France? You know, everyone says that you get a lot of time off, you don't have to work very hard, you you can have long holidays. It's all a very splendid place to work. How can people be so upset with that? Well, you got the insider and you got the outsider in this labour market in France. I'm I'm really not going to say you know the, the British system is wonderful. I, I keep writing day in day out that there are plenty of limits to the British system. But but the, you got the insider, you got the outsider in France. It is true when you're an insider, you're very well protected. If you get a decent job, you're okay. You're okay. If yeah. you're not, good luck because to get in takes a lot of effort. But there is also a sense that that some of those cushy conditions might be disappearing. You know, if, so they're under threat as well. That's exactly, another fact. That people's children might not be as well off as uh, as they are, or their parents were. Just one thing. You know, I live in London, so I'm a semi-outsider to France. I've been really struck by how dark the mood is every time I go back to France. You know, French are pessimistic because they are French. Uh, it's been like that for a very long time. But now it's something else. It's really gloomy, really dark, really nasty, uh, and that's new. Sophie, can you just help us? I said it right at the beginning that we would spell out the electoral system. You've all been referring to it on and off, but just in case people are confused about how it works, can you tell us about the two rounds and you know how that affects the dynamic? 
Yes, well, it's a two-round system. It's a, of uh, direct universal suffrage. So the a number of candidates, any number of candidates, can stand in the first round. And two weeks later, the top two candidates go into the second round. You have to therefore get over 50%. It's not like the American system. You have to secure a direct mandate from more than 50% of the French population. And this in the past has meant that in a way you've got sort of a freedom in that first round to express maybe a preference or a protest or, or be a bit free with your vote because you knew you'd always have uh, a chance to come back in the second round and vote for who you really wanted. But where this has changed the dynamic uh, in the election this year is is the you know, near certainty that Marine Le Pen is going to be in the second round. So that old dynamic uh, doesn't um, hold anymore. And it will all depend on the second round. So I'm going to ask all four of you which candidate she should most fear. So, Pierre Askey, why don't you start off with that? What do you think? Who would she not want to be up against in that second round? I think she would prefer to be facing Macron because, as she has said openly, this is a clear-cut choice that uh, she will put in front of uh, the French citizens. On one side, what she calls the globalists, the uh, world of globalization, who she blames for all the, uh, the, the pain of the French society. And on the other side, what she uh, describes her own side as the patriots who want to get out of Europe, who want to restore the currency, who want to restore borders, protectionism. And so for her, this will be a much better alternative having Macron in front of her. But on the other side, the circumstances of Fillon's problems with his financial scandal make it a better candidate for her because part of the left will find it very hard to go and vote for Fillon, both because of his program and because of ethical issues. And so she has chances to get closer to the 50% with Fillon, a discredited or weakened Fillon, than with a Macron who can reconcile everybody against her. Now, Pierre Askey, you're a, that's a, almost like a politician. Which one would she most fear? She has to fear Macron. Fear Macron more. OK. And Sophie Pedder, what's your answer to that question? I agree with Pierre's analysis, even though on the, in the polls, if you look at where the margin would be closest, it's actually Fillon. Uh, Fillon against Marine Le Pen would give her a greater share of the vote. She would find it potentially easier or at least less difficult to win against a candidate Fillon. It is fair to say that all the polls show her losing the second round. But Sophie, there is a question about turnout, isn't there, and whether that's going to be a big part of this story. Exactly. I mean, if you if you look at past uh, elections and you see how many votes she's ever ever achieved, or even the percentage of vote, there was a region a regional election in France uh, where she stood in the in the north of France. She got forty two percent of the vote at that at that stage. Now, if you take that share and convert it into votes, and then look at what the turnout has to be in order for that to make a majority, you're looking at a much lower turnout than France has ever seen, but it's it's not impossible. And I think that's where the, 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 the sort of source of concern is. If you have her against a candidate that people don't feel motivated to vote for, will turnout be as high as it historically has been, which in France has always been the case, that turnout's been around 80%. It would have to fall to sort of in the, somewhere in the 60, mid-60s for her to, to, to stand a chance. But given this sort of uncertainty about this election and uncertainty about le- elections generally, it's not very reassuring even to look at those sorts of figures. And okay. her, her supporters are very, very motivated indeed. I've been spending time with them and they are extremely pumped up. They, they will turn out. Yes, they will. OK, so just, but just to, on the, who she should fear most, Pierre thought Macron, and you think Sophie? 
I honestly think that either of them are going to be difficult for her. And uh, I, I, I don't think it's possible to just put to put a name on one of them. Both Theo and Macron will be difficult for her. Well, it's actually fascinating you say that because it just shows how close the, the alternatives are and, and how, how, how even this is in that respect. Uh, but there's Eric, one scenario, sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, there's one scenario that we haven't uh, envisaged, but uh, why not, is if Amon, the socialist, gets to the second round. It, because, you know, we've seen so many upsets uh, in the past few months. You cannot exclude that uh, Fillon would be charged and, and would collapse in the poll, that Macron would do uh, blunders and, and collapse again, and that Amon makes it. And in that case, it's a real chance opportunity for her because the voters from the traditional right might turn to her rather than see a socialist again and and especially a socialist from the left. That scenario is at this stage very unlikely but if it happens for her it's the the best scenario. And just to add to Pierre, most scenarios that have happened in the last six months have been very unlikely so that's why it's it's one worth looking at. Yep. Uh, Okay, Eric and uh, Gabriel quickly on who she should fear most. I agree, Macron. 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 Uh, well, the, the latest polls suggest Macron. So, so a poll out this week, BVA poll, um, shows Macron in the second round beating her by 61 to 39%, whereas Fillon would beat her 55 to 45%. For what it's worth. For what it's for worth. What I mean, worth. You know. Okay. 55, 45%. I mean, Marine Le Pen at 45%. Let's just uh, take this on to parliamentary elections, which are happening in June. Pierre, perhaps you could kick us off on that, because that will become important. Because uh, in a moment, we're going to talk about the implications for Europe. But the parliamentary elections are part of the story, aren't they? Yes, they are, definitely, because the president will need a majority in parliament to uh, uh, implement his, his own programme. And or at her. the moment... Or her program, yes, you're right. In the outgoing parliament, the socialists had a majority, and it's very unlikely that a single party will have a majority in the next parliament. In view of the dispersion of the vote, of uh, you know, we now have five families uh, where France used to have a, a dual or th- maybe three-party uh, system. It all depends who wins. If you have Macron winning, that's a big mystery because he hasn't been tested. He hasn't got a a proper party. He hasn't got a single constituency where he has a a proper MP under his movement at the moment. And he's recruiting candidates for every single constituency in a rather spontaneous way. That's a big mystery how uh, Macron will have a majority. But it's a rule in French politics since we've had this uh, five-year mandate followed by parliamentary elections that the winner of the presidential election gets a big boost in parliament one month later because voters are quite coherent in the end and they want to give the man they have elected as president the means to govern. If it's Marine Le Pen, it's even more complicated because she has only two members of parliament at at this stage in the the outgoing parliament. How is she going to get from two to a working majority if she is elected president? That's a big mystery, even if she uh, manages to get lots of MPs in. And that's a a mystery. The others will uh, manage. That leads us very well onto this uh, final topic, which is what the implications of all of this are for the European Union. And I I, I guess what we're saying is, given on, on Europe all the other candidates will be holding broadly similar views, that what, what, what we're down to here is what would be the impact of Le Pen winning and what would be the impact of her losing for the European Union. And uh, Sophie Petter, can I just pick up on that point that we just heard, that there would have to be a parliamentary majority there as well for a strong government. So if it came to Le Pen winning and wanting a referendum, 
on European Union membership after presumably a failed negotiation to get reforms in much the same way as Cameron failed to get what he wanted. Would she need both Houses of Parliament to get that referendum through? Yes, she would. She would actually need to make a modification to the re- to the constitution in order to allow her to hold the sort of referendum she wants to hold. And that requires a three-fifths majority of the joint uh, upper and lower houses in France. So the mechanics of actually following through on what she has promised to do are uncertain, to say the least. Having said that, there's no doubt that she is part of a sort of project to essentially undermine the European Union, to bring an end to what has brought peace and prosperity to the continent and for the past 60 years in which France has been a founder member of. So it's just an, a sort of a, an extraordinarily important moment and start to think through now the consequences of that. I think no, it's, are... it's a huge deal, but, but that is very important what you've just said. She would need three-fifths in both houses. In order to modify the constitution, that's what you need to do in France. And the sort of referendum she wants to hold she would require modifying an article in the constitution. So, Eric Albert, that's quite important. That means that's not likely to happen. It makes it difficult, but the political dynamic that her election... And that's what Sophie's saying, too. It's heading in one trend. Massive, just, yeah. just, just one thing. I would beg to differ on this idea that all the other candidates are you know, broadly pro-European. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fillon voted against Maastricht. Macron is the only one who is really genuinely... Actively pro. Actively pro European. The others are actually Eurosceptic, on the back foot. I mean, not really enthusiastic at all, at least, toward the European project. On the issue of the referendum, if if she did uh, manage to hold one uh, with all the caveats that we've just been hearing about, there is the question of whether the French people want to leave the European Union at the moment. The polls strongly suggest they don't. Yeah, Pierre Asking, let me put that to you because, you know, the UK voted out, but it's always been more Eurosceptic than especially anywhere else in Europe. So, so, And it was pretty close in the UK. How would you see a referendum working out? The problem of a referendum is that people uh, hardly answer the question that's asked. And so it will all depend on the context. But if, if you look at all opinion polls, whatever uh, judgment we put on, on opinion polls, the French don't want to leave the euro and don't want to leave the European Union. The problem is that if Marine Le Pen is elected, she will just let the European Union die. You know, the European Union is in pretty bad shape at the moment. If you don't have strong leadership in both Germany and France, the Union is is, is in such a disarray that the, the signal given by her election uh, would be a kiss of death for the whole process. Well, it would also become a self-fulfilling prophecy for the scenario, the message, the image of Germany as the one that's doing all the driving in the EU. So if France under a Présidente Marine Le Pen withdrew essentially from that process. That would become then a self-fulfilling prophecy. Germany would become the de facto undisputed leader of Europe and that would, I think, breed even more resentment. All of you are talking in the same way, actually, which is that this is going to be not an election that probably leads to a decisive breach with Europe, but that it, that it could undermine Europe and, and be part of a longer-term story. Is that, would that be right, Sophie? Yes, I think so. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty in, in all of this, isn't there? And it's, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen at legislative elections. Uh, we don't know what the balance of parliamentary power is going to be. We don't know what sort of government could be formed or would be formed, even if Marine Le Pen was going to get in. So there are, there, are, there and then we don't know what would happen, um, you know, even if there ever were a, a referendum held in France on, on French European Union membership. So there, there is a sort of series of, of, of uncertainties, which makes this very difficult to sort of think through. But yeah, um, but Eric, let's think through the other side of it. If Macron won, 
you know, the enthusiastic pro-European. I mean, I think it's fair to say quite a few Brexit voters or probably Brexit ministers, you know, are thinking that if Le Pen wins, it makes the British job slightly easier because Europe is a much weaker thing to deal with and it will be much easier for the Brexiteers. Yeah, I think it's completely deluded thinking, but uh, they may you're think right. Like that. Ma- many people think like that. Yeah. So, so if Macron won and we've got a Euro enthusiast in Paris, there would be a, quite a different picture. Well, you can imagine, you know, following Brexit, um, actually Europe getting together, um, reacting, and with the leadership of Macron, with whoever will be in Germany, you can imagine the European Union actually reacting and, and gathering together. That's that's a hope that the pro-European will have. And it's not a far-fetched scenario. Surprisingly, since Brexit in France, the, the support to stay in the EU has slightly risen, apparently. And the, the general feeling is that it wasn't such a good idea for Britain to withdraw. But what's so interesting is that you say support for, for the European Union has risen in France since Brexit, but so has support for an anti-EU party. And, and look, at, look at the Netherlands, also massive support for an anti-EU party. Uh, look at Austria. Yeah, Gabriel, I think you've been travelling around Europe more widely, in East, East and Central Europe too. So, so what's your sense of the possibility of a Macron win reviving Europe? Well, I think it's it's hard to see at the moment Europe in a sort of revivalist mode. I don't I don't I don't get that feeling. You know, we've got Wilders in Holland, who's probably going to get the most seats in the election, but perhaps not become prime minister, thereby making his supporters feel even more disenfranchised and angry with the establishment. Um, we, we've got uh, AFD in Germany. We've got the Freedom Party in Austria. Look at the Central European countries. Viktor Orban, who is who is basically an anti-EU prime minister now. Uh, it, it, it doesn't feel to me like uh, Europe's on the brink of some sunlit upland revival. Well, but you can if, have... I can, oh, sorry. if I can jump in, uh, I, I think there's something quite extraordinary here is that uh, in, the, in the present European climate, to have a candidate like Macron who gets on, platform, on a stage with thousands of people and making uh, Europe being applauded, is is something uh, quite uh, mind blowing because you would think that Europe is is some dreadful thing that you would hide under the carpet and forget about it because it is unpopular. And Macron has been uh, raising this this flag again in a, in a pretty courageous way, uh, which has given him uh, uh, quite a strong appeal. And I, my feeling is that if he wins and and that you have a strong pro-European government in in Germany, you will have an attempt. At at least I'm not sure it's going to succeed, but you will have an attempt to revive a, a, a kind of a core, uh, core nations um, tr- trying to get uh, to a closer political union. Uh, I'm not sure it will succeed, but uh, the reactions to uh, Trump and the U.S. Uh, hostility to uh, the European Union, uh, the reaction to Brexit uh, makes it... Uh, um, indispensable for uh, those who still believe in Europe uh, to go ahead. And that's what uh, the, the, the uh, alignment of planets between Paris and Berlin might, uh, might produce. And, uh, can, I, can I just add one thing to that, Owen? Uh, this is the, um, you know, the most favourable scenario you could possibly imagine as far as the, the French and pro-Europeans are concerned would be the election of, of, of Macron and then the putting in place in France of a series of, of serious sort of economic reforms of the sort that previous governments, governments, both on the left and the right, just haven't done, and which has exasperated Germany for the last decade, 
and that restoring sort of French credibility in the eyes of Berlin and leading the Germans, therefore, to have a more sympathetic approach to some of the French ideas. And if, if by the end of the year you had that in place and Berlin was able then to or, or willing to sort of cede ground on some of the issues that France has wanted, like greater investment, uh, mutualization in the Eurozone, then, then you might have the beginnings of a sort of new deal between France and Germany. Uh, again, you know, this, this, this would, everything would have to go well for that ifs. to happen. There are a lot of ifs, there always are, but, the, but you know, it, I don't think, I think it would be wrong to ex, exclude completely the possibility that there could be a sort of te, a, a new deal between France and Germany under those circumstances. And one if we haven't done yet, which we should do before we close this, because this is another possible outcome. If Fillon wins, uh, Eric, what does that mean for Europe and the EU? That probably means some status quo uh, is not a very strongly pro-European. As I said, he voted against Maastricht, but he will try to work with Germany and to keep going as it is now. It's not a super enthusiastic you know, leading from the front uh, pro-European, but it will probably try to revive a little bit Europe. It's interesting to look at Russia, the attitude of Russia. Um, they were heavily backing uh, Marine Le Pen uh, until suddenly it looked like Fillon might be uh, the president. He's also quite pro-Russian. And then suddenly backing for Marine Le Pen slightly dipped in Russia. Now it's back on the up. So if, if you're looking at what Putin wants, which is a weaker EU, uh, and, and he clearly likes the idea of Fillon, that tells you something. We should have mentioned Russia earlier, so thank you for getting that in. And uh, just before we close, I'm now going to ask for one word answer, since this is so utterly open. Uh, Who's going to win? Sophie, who's going to win? Today I'll say Macron. Pierre? Um, (laughs) um, I would say um, Macron too. Gabriel? Marine. And Eric? I've I've given up forecasting anything. No, no, you can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) They all did it. All right, feel. Okay, that's three choices out of four. Not bad. Thank you very much. Very interesting discussion. Uh, One last thing, actually, Pierre. What are the dates we need to watch out for? When's it happening? First round, second round. Twenty third of April for the first round and seventh of May for the second round. And the fascinating thing is, no opinion polls in between the two. Isn't it? You can't uh, publish an opinion poll in between yes, the two rounds. Yes, there will be opinion polls, but uh, they are closing. Uh, uh, the last few days are without polls, Just although everybody know. has the unofficial ones. Yes, of course. OK, brilliant. Thank you very much for that discussion. Uh, Sophie Pedder, Pierre Askey, Gabriel Gatehouse. Eric Albert. Uh, if you want to hear, if you just sort of got halfway through and want to hear the beginning of it, bbcworldservice.com forward slash newshour extra, or probably better, get the podcast, uh, BBC Newshour Extra in your podcast app, and then you'll get it every week. Uh, comments, newshour.extra at bbc.co.uk. Tweet at bbcnhextra. But that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. From Owen Bennett Jones here in London. Goodbye. <laughs>